0: Hey guys, this is Chris Roth here with Bushido Scroll with your weekly knock activism wrap up. Today is May Day, and we're going to be talking about the rally that's still happening while we record this, as well as a brief primer on another important anniversary in Los Angeles history that just happened this week. Then we'll dive into the road to the Green New Deal road tour that happened this past Friday, cover some bright news out of Inglewood, and finish up with a quick update on bridge housing with some related news out of City Hall. How's it going, Bushido?
1: Uh, It's going pretty well. I uh, I came directly from the the rally in MacArthur Park, where we we every year have a rally in Macar- MacArthur yeah. Park. Uh, Labor gets together. Uh, a lot of cops always show up because, you know, solidarity. Uh, but yeah, I was out there. I, I did the march for a little while. They are marching from uh, MacArthur Park out to Grand Park. Uh, Ace actually is speaking at Grand Park uh, around really? the time there's recording this. Oh, man, yeah. It's
0: fantastic.
1: Yeah, so uh, hopefully you get to catch him riling up the crowd. It was pretty good, though. A Thousand people, um, you know, decent way to clog up all of Sixth Street all the way into downtown, making some noise. I support it. Yeah, saw uh, a lot of the groups that you'd expect out there SEIU, uh, uh, Unite Your Local Lebanon, I saw their president speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, pretty much everyone under the sun in terms of labor and then also like leftist organizers. Lila was out there, hung out with the Olympics and DSA for a bit. Uh-huh. Uh, me and uh, Ultraberg talked to the LA Times, so that nice. was pretty cool. Yeah, it was, uh, they were like, hey, so what do workers need? And I was like, pay? They need pay, like fair pay, because the city is effing expensive. Uh, and there wasn't too much else exciting going on there. Um, you know, it was a good, like, very upbeat rally, and people were in a good mood. Better than last year when it was rainy. Um, yeah. But I did have a funny experience where I ran into uh, this IBEW and internationalist uh, party worker uh, that I uh, had talked to when I was at the uh, failed FASH rally in Long Beach. Oh. Uh, So there was a counter rally. So we're going to go a little bit like backwards in time in the the calendar here, but – Sunday, there was a FASH rally planned for Long Beach at Bluff Park. Uh, DSA Long Beach and several other groups decided that they were going to protest that. The FASH decided to roll that rally into the Saturday rally in Huntington uh-huh. Park, which I'll talk about in a second. But yeah, so when I was out there, I was arguing electoralism and stuff. Uh, <laughs> now, the, the Long Beach rally was interesting because the FASH didn't show up. We got a couple hundred people out there um, showing solidarity in Long Beach and, and being like, hey, you know, FASH aren't welcome here. Yes. There were a lot of cops just watching us, and we of were doing nothing. There. Um, and they had like a mobile surveillance, uh, camera system that has like solar panels. Is
0: this, is this the one where the dude? Yeah, I was going
1: to talk about that in a, in a second. Um, but it was, it was weird because there was a lot of police pointed at us. Uh, even though there were no fash, there was no opportunity for violence. We were on bluff park. It's like, there's a street, there's a park and then there's down to the beach uh, so, I don't know what we're going to break. Like, nobody wanted to go, like, <laughs> You're kick in the. to break do- the ocean. Well, the, the Long Beach Art Museum was there, and it's like nobody's going to go no. F up an art museum. We're all humanities majors, you know? <laughs> Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it was pretty good. It was, some, it was some good lefty solidarity and good to see people turn out in Long Beach the day after some violence had gone down uh, in Huntington Park. Uh, so that one was an anti-SB-54 rally held by a bunch of, like, kind of fashy and anti-immigrant and pro-Trump people. Uh, there's some good coverage out there. Uh, Dr. Robert, one of our campers from Occupy Ice LA, made a couple of YouTube cuts. Uh, he's a psychologist and he was trying to like talk to Trump supporters and spread the love and they do not like having the love spread. I'm not they surprised by that. They get very angry when you're like, I'm treating you like a human being with dignity and they just lose it. Uh, but five anti-fascist protesters got arrested, uh, a, uh, kind of a right wing provocateur with a YouTube channel had kind of gone into the crowd and I'm not even going to give you his name cause it's just not worth it. But he went into the crowd several times to instigate, uh, eventually he threw a punch, uh, and then other people threw punches back, and so, of course, the cops arrested the people who threw punches back. Uh, two of those people actually were from Defend Boyle Heights. Yeah, so they all got released eventually. N- no major violence or incidents went down, but, like, overall a pretty full weekend of uh, yelling at the fash here in the Southland. And it accomplished quite a bit. Um, in it, To roll back to the point you were talking about earlier, mm-hmm. to be completely out of time as though I've been watching Endgame, <laughs> which I haven't seen yet— Uh, And spoilers. Uh, Also, uh, the the FBI announced on Monday, the day after the Long Beach rally, that they had arrested a guy on Friday who was trying to plant a bomb at the Sunday rally, the counter protest. So apparently this guy was a former, uh, I believe Marine, he was a service member, um, had been saying a lot of really like radical stuff online. He caught the attention of an FBI informant. The FBI informant uh, pushed him towards like more radicalization and like expressing a desire to do outright violence. They talked him into buying components for a bomb, uh, told him they'd hooked him up with a bomb maker, gave him an inert IED. So on Friday the 26th, he went out with the FBI informant to Bluff Park in Long Beach to scout it to find out where he was going to put the bomb. And that's when the FBI sprung sprung the trap. They didn't tell anybody about this until Monday. And it also raises the question to like why Long Beach PD showed up with all of their eyes and like cameras pointed at us when they knew there was an actual violent threat lodged against the park um, and it wasn't from any of the groups that were there like this guy had pledged allegiance to ISIS um, he had served overseas I believe uh, but he wasn't like a lefty this wasn't like left wing violence this was kind of like reactionary fascist ISIS terrorist type stuff and even then it has like the entrapment of the FBI like the guy needs mental health care more than he needs uh, to be arrested by the FBI that just does not get anyone anywhere so uh, that was a little bit of a scary thing to find out on Monday to be like oh my gosh the counter rally I went to was the target of a bomb plot and nobody bothered to tell us like the cops didn't ever say anything and you're like wow thanks guys Really looking out for us there.
0: Wow, that's pretty crazy. Yeah.
1: So, uh, at the same time, you uh, yeah, we're doing some traveling back to I Washington was. D.C. So let's talk about People's Wave. Yeah, yeah.
0: So uh, People's Wave was this national convention that was being held by People's Action, uh, which is our parent organizing group here at Ground Game, and uh, it was held in D.C. over the over the weekend. So we had uh, you know Sunday activities and then Monday activities and then. Uh, some fun direct action on Tuesday, as well as getting to meet with our local elected representatives. They
1: always throw uh, down pretty well.
0: yes, we we really did. So I apologize if my voice is still a bit gravelly or uh, lost in general. That's because I was shouting my lungs out in uh, the offices for the partnership for. Uh, a healthcare future, something, something like that. It's basically this extremely neoliberal group that is pouring tons of money into the fight against Medicare for all. Uh, we uh, occupied their lobby, uh, shouted at them a whole bunch, um, made sure that all of their neighbors knew who we were there to protest and why we were there to protest. Uh, also, got some really very powerful, moving stories. Told by people who have been completely screwed over by the health insurance industry, uh, so just held that space, kept it going in there for a while, and then uh, left right as the cops were showing up, which yeah. was super fun. Uh, it's great when you're seeing like an organizing group of like seven or eight hundred people just marching down the street with uh, uh, the marshals out there in their vests and everything, organizing it in a very like controlled, professionals type of way that is just extremely powerful. Yeah, and it's really the, even the best part is walking up preceding the action, and it's just deathly silent as everybody's holding up their fist, saying, hold on, don't say anything, hold on, don't say anything. And then right as you're about to get to the spot, it just erupts with this huge amount of cheers and and protest chanting going on, and it's just completely overwhelming. And then there's a scramble of being like, oh, Man, we were supposed to be part of the group that like gets in there like early and realizing that we were not far enough ahead in the line. And then there's like a quick mad dash to squeeze our way in. It was a lot of fun. Um, and, but and,
1: there's a lot of other stuff that also goes down to people.
0: Oh, way. yeah, yeah. So we had our organizing uh, training sessions in terms of talking about how to build out coalitions, how to do outreach and um, recruitment, how to go about uh, building solidarity with their coalition partners. Um, and, and and a bunch of other stuff. We talked about the the people's platform or the people's uh, people's action platform at the national level when it comes to things like a housing guarantee and uh, you know ending uh, ending the carceral state. Basically, yep. there were a lot of really good pieces that were covered, and it was um, I'm still like processing all of it and decompressing. Cause and and from, what I saw,
1: from what I saw, uh, Bernie Sanders showed up.
0: He did. He came and uh, talked to us for a few minutes there at the end, uh, right before we went out and did our direct action, which was really great. Uh, and then, oh, so there the was second action that we did was uh, going to the EPA and uh, having another direct action where I got to carry around a, a, an eight foot tall sunflower. <laughs> nice. Uh, nice. And it was, it was fun. Um, it was really hot, and it, we chanted and shouted a lot. So again, yeah. my voice is completely gone. But yeah,
1: no, and that, at that same time, there were also uh, some folks from the uh, Sunrise movement who were yes. occupying uh, Senator Schumer's doorway, uh, getting arrested by DC cops. Uh, nice. So there was a it was a busy weekend in DC yeah, in terms were, of like yelling at people in power.
0: Yeah, some people from uh, from uh, People's Action also got arrested at I believe it was Mitch Mitch McConnell's yeah. office. Yeah, uh, handing him uh, a, a letter, getting trying to. Push him to do the Green New Deal, uh, or get on board with the Green New Deal at the at the federal level. Yeah, uh, we did also get a chance to chat with a couple of our elected officials uh, following that, and uh, it was really fun to actually, you know, I actually got to uh, meet Adam Schiff and talk to him about uh, what's going on here and. Uh, I was a little bit disappointed with his responses to things like the uh, the immediacy of the of the issue surrounding section eight discrimination in Los Angeles and California as a whole, um, and he didn't really give us a very satisfying answer when it came to issues relating to the VA, uh, claiming that you know his father is also dependent upon the VA for care, really just doesn't quite. Ring very truthful when... I also force
1: my father to live in this terrible (laughs) It's like, dude, you know how much money you make.
0: You cannot tell me that your father is reliant entirely upon the same kind of care that our homeless vets are receiving because I just don't buy it. I just don't. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, but it was... It was really cool to get to go to um, the congressional office buildings and, and actually get to meet with our electeds.
1: Yeah, they're probably. actually really nice office buildings. They, it's kind of it, like it, it you can see like where your tax dollars go.
0: It is also surprisingly small inside of their offices, but the building itself is yeah. huge. But you also remember like. There are a lot of elected officials. yeah so there are a
1: lot of opposites. <laughs> something about a, a 538 blog leaps to mind but yeah, uh, before a, we get
0: thing with numbers.
1: before we get too bogged down talking about all the actions we were involved in, uh, let's hop into some history. So Monday was uh, a really big anniversary here in LA.
0: Yeah, so this past Monday was April 29th which was the 27th anniversary of the LA uprising. On that day back in 1992 the justice system completely and utterly failed Rodney King. While, while acquitting three of the four officers who beat him savagely on video after he attempted to flee and evade arrest back in March of 91. There was also a fourth officer who participated in the beating, but the jury failed to return a conviction on that charge of excessive force that had been brought against him. Uh, and then within hours of the announcement of the acquittals, the LA uprising began and it lasted until May 4th, following the deployment of not just the California National Guard, but the 7th Infantry Division from the U.S. Army, as well as the the 7th Marine Battalion.
1: In a weird point of, of my family history, my aunt was actually uh, the quartermaster at the Long Beach uh, barracks for the National Guard. She she was in the National Guard, the California National Guard from the time she turned uh, 17. Uh, but so she was literally one of the folks like handing out rifles and bullets and like arming up the soldiers who were coming to pacify Los Angeles. So at that point, like by the time they deployed the National Guard, most of the major looting and violence had already subsided. It was a little bit like uh, excessive yeah. to see that <laughs> yes. to see all of these soldiers show up showing up on the streets and have everyone have already sort of gone home.
0: Yeah, but you know nothing says excessive force like LAPD. Um, so it's also worth noting that the LAPD had set aside a full one million dollars for police overtime in expectation of unrest following the. Uh, results of the trial, which nobody knew at the time. Um, but they somehow also managed to have two thirds of their patrol captains out of town up in Ventura on the first day of a three day training seminar on the day that the uh, verdicts were announced, which is kind of mind boggling. So uh, they
1: they knew something was coming uh, and they, and they, they were made prepared. sure to get the money But they also made sure that nobody in a position of, like, authority was available. That that makes a
0: lot of sense. Apparently, the emergency response center, like, they had said, we turned on the coffee makers and we were ready to go. But, like, nobody was there and they weren't, like, actually putting any kind of, like, barricades or anything else up because they were just... Completely
1: caught unprepared for this. Look, Daryl Gates is a special type of genius. He had he knew that the the way you police L.A. is through absolute utter chaos and <laughs> brutal bullying and physical force. Uh, yeah. So, uh, anyways, uh, I, I, I always like hearing these stories about the the Gates like time in LAPD because it is so divorced from the weird technocrats that we have nowadays. Yeah. Because like at least you know Charlie Beck and Michael Moore are like somewhat level-headed, not complete a-holes, but also they haven't been in the job for, like, the 30 years that Daryl Gates had.
0: Yeah, but it also stands in very stark contrast with, like, what happened, what came out of Mayor Tom Bradley at the time, where he appealed for calm following the announcement and also denounced the jury's decision, saying, quote, "'Today the jury told the world that what we saw with our own eyes was not a crime. My friends, I am here to tell the jury,' What we saw was a crime. No, we will not tolerate the savage beating of our citizens by a few renegade cops. We must not endanger the reforms we have achieved by resorting to mindless acts. We must not push back progress by striking back blindly.
1: And it's it's worth noting that the jury in this particular case was out in Simi Valley. That the the officers had and their yeah and their lawyers had oh. successfully argued for a change of venue, saying that trying them in downtown Los Angeles would not allow them to get a fair trial. So they moved it up to Simi Valley, where they had an all-white jury, pretty much. I think there uh, a couple of the jurors were Asian. There was not a single black person on the jury. They were uh, all acquitted, and it sent a message to all of Los Angeles that the police were allowed to get away with this. And this was also uh, two years before L.A. entered into, a, I think, a conservatorship with yeah. the Department of Justice. Yeah. Overseeing use of force. They were, as part of this, like just to hop back in time to 1992, that was when like dashboard cameras were just coming around and becoming like effective technology Mm -hmm. for police. LAPD was supposed to install them and literally kept that decision off for more than a decade. Like most LAPD cruisers still don't have dashboard cameras. They still don't have that because the police union's like, no, you can't put that in there. And the city and LAPD keep finding ways to make it too expensive to do, even though if you've ever watched cops, every podunk BF sheriff in the nation has dashboard cameras.
0: Yeah. So whenever we talk about the ongoing issues of police brutality here in Los Angeles, it's really worth remembering that each new story is really just one more chapter in a long and bloody history that must not and cannot continue to exist without resistance. So this is why we come out and support Black Lives Matter activists in calling for the resignation of Jackie Lacey. This is why we support our allies who call for the demilitarization of the police across the country, but especially here in Los Angeles, where we are home to literally the deadliest police force in the country.
1: Yeah, and uh, Black Lives Matter Los Angeles, just uh, to, to mention, was out in front of Jackie Lacey's office again today for yep. uh, May Day. Uh, there's going to be some bigger actions coming up against her. And we also have an election against her. And it's one thing about DA that's weird that we get to elect our top cop. Um, But at the same time, it gives us a chance to like move for some reform or for like uh, – not Krasenstein, Krasner. Uh, Yeah, for Larry Krasner. Where's our
0: Krasner (laughs) at? Yeah, exactly. Like somebody (laughs) who's who's not just
1: reform-minded but like radically minded in how we would change the system because it's – a lot of this comes down to individual prosecutors' discretion. And we still have a lot of prosecutors in that law and order vein. Um, instead of like, how do we heal our communities? They're like, how do we punish this individual? Yeah. And until we break that mindset, we're not going to make a lot of progress. But we're getting there.
0: Yeah, slowly. But we uh, this past Friday, we also had a very special, very cool event that you were an integral part of an
1: organization. Yeah. No, I got the... a in a weird story that I have yeah. to tell. I uh, my my team. Uh, Friday night at the Wilshire Ebel for um, uh Sunrise Movement because I was the lead organizer on the the road to a Green New Deal. We got a thousand people there, yeah. uh, and Bill McKibben showed up. That was cool. Uh, we got a bunch of YouTubers there, uh, a lot of like local LA uh, YouTubers, comedians, uh, Hot Apocalypse, who's a a podcast and vlog where it's a climate scientist and a stand up comedian. They were there talking to people. Um, got some really interesting. Uh, people from LA showing up and all sorts of like good networking, good solidarity. But my team gave me uh, a very nice bottle of tequila as a thank you gift. (laughs) And when I woke up Saturday morning, because I then went out and got drunk to celebrate, and when I woke up Saturday morning, uh, the bottle of tequila was missing from my backpack and I couldn't figure out where it had gone because I hadn't drank it. I, I hadn't lost it in the lift. It had been in my bag when I got to got to my place. Uh, I kind of like spent Saturday just super hungover and feeling like shit and then Sunday I was like, oh, I have to clean the, the litter box and I opened the top of my litter box and for some reason my bottle of tequila was in the litter box. That is incredible. But yeah, for like a day I was like, <laughs> I lost my really nice Sunrise Movement gift uh, and then I found it in my litter box. So Always in the last place you look. <laughs> I mean, uh,
0: it, yes, that is a very true truism. But yeah, but it was it was a really successful
1: <laughs> night overall, though we did have a couple of unexpected people show up at the end and take the mic. Yeah. So uh, Senator Ed
0: Markey, the Senate's co-sponsor of the Green New Deal resolution that's been popularized by Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and activist organizations across the nation, made an unexpected guest appearance at the end of the event. Uh, after he spoke for a minute or two, he <sighs> ended up introducing Los Angeles Mayor Eric Garcetti as the crowd was dispersing. Um I yelled at him. Yeah, well, Garcetti, needless to say, did not exactly receive the same kind of a warm reception that uh, Senator Markey received. Uh, He then, Garcetti, used his time on the stage at Sunrise's event as a platform for announcing his vision of a Los Angeles Green New Deal plan, so-called, that was going to be happening at City Hall on Monday. He promised a meager reduction in emissions from buildings that is in line with existing plans that were already in place. And he falsely claimed that the now terminated reactivation plans for the gas power stations across the city was actually somehow a shuttering of those facilities. I
1: mean, it's an eventual shuttering, but not immediately. Like, they're still online, and they're oh, yeah. still producing power, no, and I they're mean, still burning gas. But
0: that's not at all the way he said it when he was on stage, but that's okay.
1: I, uh, I was too busy yelling at him to listen.
0: F- fair enough. Uh, yeah, so and it was. it was kind of funny because he really didn't seem to realize that of all the audiences in L.A. that he could have tried to pass— this stuff and like oversell himself on, uh, this was literally like the least likely place that was actually going to be buying into his bullshit. Uh, so that was fun. Um, following Eric Garcetti's announcement on Monday, which did end up happening exactly as expected with exactly the same kind of milk toast proposals, uh, the Los Angeles hub of sunrise movement, as well as a couple of their other allies, uh, came out with a scathing response on medium that is absolutely well worth the three minutes that it takes to read through. Uh, a couple of quick things from it that are very much worth pointing out here. One of them is, quote, the Green New Deal resolutions proposals are rapid and expansive for a reason. Anything less than a total mobilization is simply another form of denial. Uh, They continued later on saying, quote, our generation's future as well as the future of Los Angeles and of the world depends on us reaching net zero greenhouse gas emissions by 2030. This is not a goal. It is a deadline. With Mayor Garcetti's current plan for net zero emissions by 2050, Los Angeles is on track to be 20 years too late. That is not a Green New Deal.
1: And it's it's something to worth, worth pointing out because uh, Beto O'Rourke came out with sort of a climate plan and got criticized by the Sunrise Movement because the climate plan, again, also called for net zero by 2050, which, like, we have to be at net zero by 2050. That mm-hmm. doesn't mean that we should be at net zero at 2050. Yeah. Like, 2035 is really the last time we want to be burning a lot of carbon. And we should have less. We actually have less time than that. But if you look at things like permafrost and like coral reef collapse. Oh yeah those There's a lot are of scientists brutal. saying it's like five years. Yeah. And no matter what happens, we're getting two degrees Celsius of warming, which means we're getting five to seven degrees Fahrenheit. But with the track we're on, we're looking at three degrees Celsius, which is like six to nine degrees Fahrenheit. Like It's a lot more warming than we're prepared to deal with, especially when you take into account all of the topsoil that we've eroded and all of the other ecological disasters we've sort of set up for ourselves. They're going to kind of fall in the near future as those dominoes just accelerate around the planet, and it's It's frustrating for me to keep negotiating with politicians who are like, oh, we, you know, we can't get there without radical action. We're not going to do that. It's like, well, we're all going to die then. Like you're just condemning a huge portion of humanity to a terrible death. Uh, Hurricanes, uh, sorry, not hurricanes, Cyclone Kenneth and Cyclone Ida that hit Mozambique killed thousands, have displaced hundreds of thousands, and no one has ever seen cyclones hitting that same way. Like, it hasn't happened in recorded history that two cyclones like that have struck mainland Africa in that area. It's probably going to happen again before the season's out. Every year we see more and more extreme weather events. In the past 12 years, the number of extreme weather events in a year has doubled across the globe that's 12 years. Imagine the next 20.
0: No, this is extremely bleak stuff.
1: Yeah, and so when Garcetti's like drive six less miles a year or six less miles a day and you're like, wait, how about drive no miles? How about you you take away the street parking and put in some bus lanes and uh, people are going to drive a lot less.
0: Let's do some super blocks. Let's do some bus lanes. Let's do some bike lanes and let's uh, make it not viable to be driving your cars. Around and LA. even
1: if you're driving zero emissions cars like that's just that's so wasteful still because most of the trips that are happening in L.A. in a car are one person in a car. Yeah. That is only a like terrible a use of miles. resources. It's
0: stupid. Ah. It's just abs- it's fundamentally out of touch with like the reality of the future that we are but it, living in as we speak
1: Very in line with Garcetti's view that like this milk toast reformism is what's going to save us
0: As soon as you said that that brought to mind Pete Buttigieg But let's <laughs> go on So uh, the article also gives a huge shout out to the work that the stand LA coalition is spearheading to end urban oil extraction If you want to throw down with stand LA and I recommend that you do you should follow them on their Twitter at stand underscore LA Or check out their website at stand LA and hit them up on their contact page.
1: And, and Stan just so folks know is a coalition across yes. LA so a lot of groups belong to it. Physicians for Social Responsibility, Food and Water Watch, Sage belongs to it. So there's a lot of EJ groups and a lot of groups that work on like social uh and housing and transportation and not just environmental issues, but yeah. folks that are concerned with the environment because again, like climate change is the pinnacle of intersectional issues. Yes. It brings all of the other tensions and contradictions and problems we have in modern society and puts them supremely at the front because we can't fix any of this without fixing all of it.
0: Absolutely. And also if you really, if you want to get involved with the massively energetic sunrise movement, and again, I highly suggest that you do, come check out their LA Hub meeting that's gonna be happening this Sunday, May 5th from 6 to 8 p.m. at the Brewery Artist Lofts. Uh, the address for that is 2020 North Main Street, Studio 216, Los Angeles, California, 90031. It's right off of the 5 up there at the old uh, Pabst Blue Ribbon Brewery, right? Yeah, yeah. It yeah. used to be
1: a Pabst Blue Ribbon Brewery. And uh, a- after uh, Sunrise Movement, uh, go over to Rosie's, grab a beer. They always have really good beers on tap. Nice. Yeah, I used to live at the brewery way back in the day when oh, I dropped man. out of school. Uh, <laughs> and it, it's a weird place, I, but I, I very there. much... <laughs> yeah, I, I think everyone does. It's one of those LA institutions. Yeah. You've been here like for more than... Three years. It's like seven
0: degrees of Kevin Bacon, only it's one degree of the PBR brewery. <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, but yeah, it's it's going to be a really good one. And the Sunrise Hub here in L.A. Uh, has just endorsed Lorraine Lundquist up in yeah. CD12. So if you want to go canvassing for a really good candidate, then you should talk to them. Uh, they're going to be doing a lot more stuff throughout the summer. Like the Sunrise Movement is building capacity and momentum in a really crazy, incredible way. Like I was at our first action in November. Uh, it's only been, let's see here, November, December, January, February, March— April. So
0: we're six months in now.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Or, uh, you know, getting into our seventh month in existence. And we've got uh, an email list of over a thousand people. I I know we grew that list a bunch, but Mm -hmm. this kind of capacity building this quickly is insane. And also, like, if you're like me and you're like an older millennial or like a boomer or, God forbid, or sorry. uh, Gen X. (laughs) Yeah. if you're like me, an older millennial or a Gen X or, God forbid, like a boomer, uh, come and check out what the kids are doing because they're really good at it and they're incredibly motivated. The kids, are all, right, motivated. The kids yeah.
0: are all right.
1: Uh, you know what's not all right, though, <laughs> is Steve Ballmer and his Clippers because uh, they're trying to gentrify even more of Inglewood.
0: Yeah, so there's been a whole lot of construction that's been going on in Englewood these days between the uh, the new NFL stadium that's going in, uh, along with a bunch of like land speculations surrounding the Crenshaw subway line. Um, but good news, uh, a judge has given the go-ahead on a lawsuit that may grind one of these projects to a complete halt, and that is the Clippers stadium that they, for some reason, have decided that they need to build because they can't just share the Staples Center which seems to be working just well, fine think, so far. I
1: think it's a couple of things. One, it's a point of pride. Like, if you're a professional billion dollar team, you're supposed to have your own stadium. Uh, because apparently that's just what a billionaire needs to feel like they're they're validated for running a sports team. And then two, I believe it's like concession sales and ticket sales. Like they're technically leasing oh. time from like the Lakers to be a stable. It's, you know, some dumb business arrangement. How about a co-op? I mean, or just eliminate <laughs> pro sports, you know, like make them less of a priority. Yeah. Uh, uh, you enough. know, go go to back to that Simpsons where, you know, uh, the teachers and scientists are driving Ferraris and meanwhile entertainers are scraping by.
0: <laughs> I mean— most actors and comedians do just get to scrape by, but I get the point. They, yeah. yeah, fair enough, fair <laughs> enough.
1: I, the very the very professional ones. But it, it, a world where we're not spending, you know, like I had those Hillside Villa tenants on. They literally had to move to Hillside Villa uh, up in Chinatown because they lived where Staples Center is. And the city just showed up and was like, yo, that apartment building where you've lived for like a decade or more. Uh, We're going to knock it down and build a convention center for people with wheelie suitcase bags, and you just have to move because of that. So, yeah, this is just more of the same. And it's, you know, for AEG wanting to knock down the neighborhood next to that in, like, Pico Union to put, like, the football stadium that ended up in Inglewood just enrages me in a very special way, especially when you look at the city we're living in. And you can just throw a rock, and whoever gets hit with that rock is almost guaranteed to be struggling to afford a place to live in this city. Yeah, like if if Staples Center opened up at night and turned into like the largest, you know, support shelter in the city. We could like sell maybe it. yeah, I mean we or like at least to do it. something useful, but like, yeah. you know, for 20 hours out of a the day, there's nothing going on there. It's just big and empty and useless.
0: Yep. So, uh, getting back to the Clipper Stadium uh, on Friday last week, the Los Angeles County Superior Court Judge Mary H. Strobel rejected attempts by the defendants, the City of Inglewood and the Clippers-controlled company Murphy's
1: Bowl LLC. I'm wondering where they came up with that name from. Uh, I I mean, Steve Ballmer is kind of a weird guy because he technically owns them. Yeah. (laughs) He's the main owner. It's it's always owned by some weird corporation or whatever. Of course, it's got to be a corporate holding.
0: Uh, Anyway, so uh, they were trying to make moves to get their suit dismissed, and uh, she said no. Yeah. Uh, This is a huge win for Uplift Inglewood, which is a community group that advocates for affordable housing, uh, because they understand California laws. So the basic gist of the lawsuit is this. Under California's Surplus Land Act, first preference for developing all empty land must be given to affordable housing, recreation, or schools. Uh, Uplift Inglewood is arguing that having the city of Inglewood enter into an exclusive negotiating agreement with Murphy's Bowl uh, does not comply with Murf- with the, uh, the Surplus Land Act. So uh, if this lawsuit is eventually successful, we could see a huge boon for affordable housing in LA County, as the 22 acres of this site would be prime land for such a development. Um, let's also close this out with a quick quote from a representative from Uplift Inglewood, D'Artagnan Scorza, saying, quote, Today's ruling is a step forward for our neighbors who are simply asking the city of Inglewood to follow California's affordable housing laws.
1: Yeah, and Inglewood went from a very not desirable area to incredibly quickly oh, yeah. gentrified once the football stadium broke ground. And even then like they've they've tried putting in a an emergency rent moratorium mm-hmm. uh, to stop rent increases because people were literally like the landlord was showing up and saying, I'm gonna double your rent. Uh, and you just have to leave because oh, yeah. I don't I, want you here anymore. I saw
0: one that was 130% increase in it's rent. It's
1: insane. Uh, and this is happening again like in Chinatown. It's happening in Inglewood. Uh, if you live over by the Coliseum, uh, there's a good chance your house is going to get knocked down because oh, yeah. they want to put up a hotel.
0: Or an Airbnb uh, illegal you know, residential property or student housing over by the when Coliseum.
1: When the Olympics show up in 2028, L.A. is going to be nothing but cops and empty hotel rooms because no one else will be able to afford to live here. Yeah,
0: that's that's a fun bleak note to end uh, that discussion on.
1: Well, speaking of housing and cops, <laughs> let's move on to bridge housing. Where I've been repeating this, and I'm going to repeat it again just for yucks. But so when the first bridge housing shelter that was open in L.A. was named El Pueblo, and then the city changed the name to El Puente because they didn't want to associate the name of uh, El Pueblo, the city's birthplace, with a homeless shelter. Uh, I hate our elected officials. Let's talk about all the money they're <laughs> spending on cops. It's a lot. Uh,
0: so, right now, the city of LA is on track to be spending around $1.13 million per year at each of the two existing bridge housing facilities on security alone.
1: And this is just to, to remind me, they, we said we were going to spend $20 million. That's building them. Yeah. And there was going to be 20 facilities. Yeah. So, it's going to cost $44 million to police yeah. the 20 facilities. Yeah. Double what? Oh, my. Yeah. Oh, and oh, no, also, no, 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 sorry, it's going to cost more, like twenty-two million to produce to uh, police the yes. twenty facilities, doubling the cost overall to like forty-two million dollars. Correct, but then there's also the
0: uh, extra enforcement that is happening in those zones. Uh, that is the sweeps, like the thirty million dollars in sweeps. It's all correlated. I mean, it's just it's ballooning very quickly. So anyway. Uh, the reason for this particular, you know, one point one three million dollar number uh, being so absurdly high is that it is the cost of paying overtime to two LAPD officers to work twelve hour shifts at the site each day. Uh, these long shifts insert twenty four hours of coverage from the LAPD, uh, and the rationale is that apparently somehow. Having these officers work this overtime is like somehow less expensive than actually hiring full time employees uh, to do the same thing.
1: No, no, but that's the thing. They also have on site security in oh, addition yeah, to LAPD. So, like, there's <laughs> LAPD there to just be extra dicks, but there's also on site security who are this full time staff.
0: And that's where the $1.13 million comes from is extra security.
1: You remember contact, right? Like, yeah. why build one for, you know, the cost when you can build two for twice the cost? And I feel like <laughs> like that's what's going on here. Like, why have security for the cost when you have security and the cops for triple the cost?
0: Yeah, so actually in related news, and this is a slightly uh, uh, higher uh, point to be talking about on this on this issue. Uh, Councilmember Mike Bonin introduced a motion at City Hall this past week to study the efficacy of these homeless encampment sweeps that we've been talking about here since literally the first episode of this podcast. I think uh, if you want to read the council file for this motion yourself, it is number nineteen dash zero four five zero. its number 19 450 0450 it has been referred to the homelessness committee and homelessness and poverty committee, excuse me. And uh, hopefully, some uh, good movement will be coming out of that. But basically. What it's really seeking to do here is to study whether or not these sweeps are actually improving public health. Um, spoiler alert: they are not, um, and whether they're helping versus hurting the people on the street. Spoiler alert: they're hurting them, and what appropriate role for law enforcement is in these sweeps? Spoiler alert: again, there is no appropriate role for law enforcement in these sweeps. We do not need them there.
1: This is yeah, just imagine if like mm. the cops showed up and threatened you with guns because you didn't sweep your lawn. Like it's it's. it's yeah.
0: And then the last point that the study, the motion is uh, encouraging the city to go out and study is how much oversight is needed for the program. The answer to that one is obviously a hell of a lot more than they've been doing so far because they just did not seem to realize that LAPD had sucked up $30 million for these sweeps last year and that they threw away 9,000 plus tents. Like nobody nobody was paying any attention to this. Like no none of our elected officials anyway. All of the activists were out there and shouting about it and yelling at city council and yelling at the mayor all the well, time. And, I and, mean
1: And that's the thing, like this like Joe Reyes has kind of become like a a, a name that everyone of the city is talking about in this space because yes. his story got a lot of and, press. And it needs to but be his, heard. Over yeah, but, and but over. his story isn't unique. That's no. the, the problem I have. And not a, not against Joe or any of the, the adv- activists. it's just so many people are dying on our streets whose names we will never learn. And they don't get talked about. Uh, but with Joe Reyes, it's particularly uh, painful because he had all of his like heart medication, everything in his tent. Uh, the cops showed up to sweep where he was living, the encampment he was in. Uh, they said, oh, this tent is unaccompanied because he was at work because he had a job and he lived in the neighborhood for 20 years. Anyways, because he couldn't be both at work and attending to his tent, they threw out all of his stuff. About two weeks later, he died from heart complications. It's like... We can't know for sure if that caused it, but it didn't help. You know, at best, it made his situation worse. And that sort of thing happens every single day. And then Mayor Garcetti this week came out in an amazing interview uh, with Roy Choi, because why why not? I mean, like, I, I like the Kogi truck well enough and his other... Um, you know, culinary experiments are fine. Um, kind of screw him for moving to Vegas and getting a bunch of my friends laid off because they just decided to completely roll over the staff from his restaurant at the line. Uh, but anyways, like Roy Choi is interviewing Garcetti and Garcetti literally said that, the reason we see more tents is that it's cheaper to buy a tent nowadays, which it's not. Just inflation means the- it's not cheaper to buy a tent. Like it doesn't matter how many Walmarts and Targets you bring to town. Uh, just inflation is going to make it more expensive. Uh, but even – especially since the housing crisis are, has been going on for 20, 30, 40 effing years. But also the audacity of somebody who's sitting there with – an incredibly expensive chef who's running incredibly expensive restaurants in gentrifying hotels to say, oh, no, it's not the fact that everyone's priced out of a place to live. And a man like Joe Ray's, who worked a steady job, can't afford a place to live. It's that he could afford to buy a tent. And I don't know what world Eric Garcetti living in, where somebody who is so broke that they couldn't afford a more expensive tent is suddenly like, oh no, but I can stay in housing then. Like what what is going on in his mind where he's like, oh, tents are too cheap, so all of these people should just be exposed to the elements to die even more quickly? Right. I mean, or they just be like, oh man, tents are really expensive, I'll just have to stay in this $2,500 a month apartment now that the landlord tripled my rent overnight because the Olympics are coming to town. Like I just, I... <sighs> I don't get it. Like, how do yeah. you? How are you that far removed from no, your society? It's and then you remember that he's always surrounded by LAPD security and only talks to wealthy donors who don't understand what's going on. That the only time he sees actual Angelinos is from a stage in the din of like oh, no. photography balls. He sees going his off.
0: neighbors over in Hancock Park. It's just that <laughs> there is neighbors over in Hancock Park.
1: The average Angelino. Yeah. Well, actually, like that, the Obamas. That, Obama's
0: funny, funny enough, that was one of the few districts in the city that did go for Trump in the last election. So.
1: I wonder why. I can't imagine. Wonder why. I cannot imagine. Yeah, I used to tutor the SATs in that district and like nice <laughs> kids, but yeah, it, just an insane amount of wealth concentrated in an area next to an insane amount of like, or next to an area that's pretty much working class and oh, Spanish yeah. speaking people. Like, oh yeah, it's that right are, next door yeah. to Koreatown. And Westlake. And Westlake West it's, it's Park, you, yeah. you go a couple of blocks and that neighborhood just changes like that. Oh yeah. Uh, but yeah, so uh interesting frustrating yelling week <sighs> uh i i do not to to put on my meteorologist hat I do not see the the chances of the yelling decreasing over time as we move towards twenty twenty. I will would,
0: would put that at a good old fashioned zero. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna
1: it's gonna be a long a long hot summer. Um, and I I yeah. Get I up there
0: in March with us, guys. Come yeah, on. Yeah, no, Have there's fun. gonna be
1: plenty of time to get a tan. Uh, there's also gonna be a lot of really cool stuff going on. Uh, there's going to be a Lila Left in LA uh, garage sale going on on uh, May eighteenth. Uh, there is an Uber and Lyft driver strike going on on May eighth, so yep. please, especially if you're going to the airports, because that's sort of where it's focused. Do not use Uber or Lyft. All you can day, always take midnight stay,
0: to midnight. May eighth,
1: yep. and you can always use the FlyAway bus if you yeah. want. Like see that, and, and it works well. I like I the FlyAway used it, bus. I literally
0: used the FlyAway bus last night when I was coming back from LAX, uh, and it, I amazingly showed up like as I walked out of the baggage claim area, <laughs> I saw the FlyAway bus coming up, and I was like, no, I just missed it, and then it stopped like. 50 feet away from me, and I was like, yeah, I get to catch it, and it was the, great.
1: Those little L.A. wins.
0: No, it was, it was incredibly, like, just serendipitous timing, and it was totally, completely enjoyable. 975 to get me up to Union Station, super easy yep. to get back home from there, so... Fully endorse a flyaway. Take it, people.
1: Yeah, and and uh, hopefully soon we'll have a train that gets closer to LAX, and that? then eventually a train that will get to LAX. No, so far that, we've, that we've one's tried be the people mover. So far we've tried twice <laughs> to get a train to go to LAX, and both times they've just barely missed. Like third time's the charm.
0: It's amazing because it's not a very small target. You'd think that we'd be able to hit it, especially with a train where we can control where it goes.
1: Well, and they always sell it as a train to LAX, and then like when they release the final plan, they're like, "So I know we told you the train was going to go to LAX." <laughs> But what we meant was that the train is going to take you to a station that's going to take you to another state where you can catch a bus to go to the, the parking lot C and then catch another bus Man, to go to the terminal. They love Wait, wait, transvers. wait, we've got another train and this one will only require you to go from train to people mover. Uh, yeah. Uh, but again, like once AOC and her tyranny takes over, there will be no more flying. Oh, yeah. So, uh, no you more know.
0: flying, no more hamburgers, no more cow farts.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and speaking of tyrannical <laughs> rules coming to an end, uh, oh. I did want to let you all know. So I, I we put out a special edition of the podcast or a special announcement this week. Uh, if you didn't catch that uh, or if this is Friday and it hasn't come out yet, I want to give you all the heads up that uh, Bo Delight is going to be taking over for me uh, here on the podcast interviews. I'm still going to be doing the news with Chris. I have to move to Arizona for family reasons. Uh, I will be back soon, hopefully, Uh, but I want to keep this going on. I also want to inject some new blood into it, and Bo is going to be absolutely fantastic. So check out our special announcement that is going to be on the podcast Saturday. It's pretty short, but Bo is fantastic, and you are going to have an amazing, amazing time with that. Uh, And I will see you all when I get back.
0: Fantastic. Thanks a bunch, guys, and uh, thank you, Bushido.